You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in to the Locked On Syracuse podcast, trying to make sense of what the heck we just watched yesterday in that Pittsburgh collapse. Pittsburgh 63, Syracuse 60. We will recap the game today. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're the only place for daily Syracuse podcasts out there. And before we get into the game, Ty, just want to say I know there's a lot more important things to be talking about right now and a lot more important things to be discussing after what happened yesterday at Capitol Hill, but maybe this can act as somewhat of a release for people right now. It's really scary stuff going on and we're going to talk about the game today, and, and hopefully that's just sort of a, a release if, if anyone wants to partake with us. But we understand that there's a lot of important stuff going on. Right. You can't ignore what's going on. I feel like everyone has kind of dropped the, the stick to sports thing at this point. So, it, yes, we do have to mention this, and it kind of felt weird. I don't know about you, but it didn't feel like a basketball game should have been taking place. I'm not saying they shouldn't have played the game. It just felt out of place especially yeah. with the the moved up time slot and everything and 4:30 amid everything that was happening it just felt weird felt wrong i know jim Beheim kind of got into it but didn't really get into it after the game when he talked about it but it's just yeah it was it was really sad to see the the way that everything unfolded out in our our nation's capital and uh, I know Syracuse playing Georgetown this weekend, so hopefully that game's still going on, uh, assuming that, that Georgetown can, can yeah. make it safely from our nation's capital to Syracuse. Um, and obviously it would have been a bigger nightmare had the game been played in D.C. But yeah, no, it's uh, scary stuff. If, if you are, I know we do have a, a number of listeners in the DMV area. If you are in that area, please, please, please stay safe. We're, we're right. thinking of you during these times and... Uh, our prayers are with you, but yeah, it's scary stuff, especially for the people who lost their lives, maybe were injured during the the events of yesterday, and some of them were even innocent bystanders as well. Anyway, just wanted to say that, but let's get into this game. I it it ended a while ago. I mean, a lot of people listening to this are listening to it a day after the game happened. I still don't know how they lost. Like I, I watched back the final five minutes. I get why they lost because the shot selection was terrible and it was kind of a lot of the same headaches. That the we've rebounding, seen recent. also yeah, uh, rebounding. a major, major concern in this one. I know, like that. That's what I was gonna say. It's a lot of the same headaches that we've seen from recent Syracuse teams, where Terrell Brown comes into this game, he scored ten points combined in all the games Pitt has played before this, which I think was seven of them. He's averaging like four minutes a game. And he looks unstoppable out there. I mean, Pitt was down several front court players in this game, yet they still managed to get, what, 20 offensive rebounds, get that tip in to win the game, which was the first time they led in the entire game. It's crazy that they won this game. To me, I mean, there are so many factors, but uh, I think we start with this. This was a clinic in awful shot selection down the stretch. I, I thought Syracuse played one of its best halves of the season in that first half, especially given the circumstances, you're coming off a layoff. And I know you can point to Pitt was missing a bunch of really good players, including Justin Champagny. And if you thought the rebounding margin was bad, you should have seen it if it, if Champagny had played in this game. It could have been atrocious. They got 20 offensive rebounds without him. With him, he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. Yeah, and so, Syracuse is down Sidibe still. Right, but so yeah, I, it I is agree. worth the, the give or take there. But yeah, no, it's... I think the the net of what 
the difference between Sidibe and, and Champagny. I think it's advantage Pitt in terms of what they're gaining with Champagny versus what Syracuse is gaining with uh, Sidibe on, on the floor. Anyway, though, the I thought the first half they played pretty well. I mean, defensively, I know it was a shorthanded Pitt team, but you held them under 20 points in this game, one of 12 from three. Again, we said Pitt, this isn't a game where Pitt's probably going to get right shooting the three ball. And we kind of hit everything on the head when we exactly. were talking about this in our preview. <laughs> the only thing we missed was the offensive rebounding. But down the stretch, it, I mean, the shot selection, whether it was Gerard, it was Bayheim at times, it was Alan Griff. I mean, it was atrocious, the shots that they were putting up. It was contested stuff. It was early in the shot clock. All that, it was disgusting. The shots that were taken in this game in the second half versus the looks they got in the first half were abominable. I, I can't wait to see the shot quality report that comes out on this game because I'd love to know what what the grade of the looks were that Syracuse was taking in that second half. Yeah, the the other thing we missed was Robert Braswell scoring 12 points in the game. Yeah, how about that? Four threes. Bobby I, Bomb Squad. At least we have that one positive, a big bad Bobby Braswell there. I was, I was thinking when he was going off that we should be checking on our friend James Zuba there when it was happening. But let's let's touch on the shot selection just – We'll get into Braswell and give him his due because it was positive to see that. And finally, he made some shots in the game, which was positive. And we've been harsh on him in the past, so I do want to give him his due later on. We also get to a lot of your Twitter comments later on the show as well. But you're right. This game went according to plan, for me at least. Exactly what we talked about in the preview podcast was happening for the first half. I mean, half. they led but, for, what, 30? Uh, well, they didn't lead. They they weren't trailing for, what, 39 minutes and 30 seconds of this game? I think it might have been like more that. than that. Because the tip-in I mean, was with, like, eight seconds left, right? Was, so, up until that yeah, point, they you're right. Yes, Yeah, you're right, eight tied. seconds. So, they were, they were not trailing in this game for 39 minutes and 52 seconds. Yeah. And, I mean, they're up 49-33 to 33 with 11 minutes and 5 seconds left in the game. At that point, Pittsburgh, according to Ken Palm, had a 1.5% chance of winning the game. And their win probability was hovering around 2% going into the 5-minute stretch or the 5-minute mark of this game because it just was going according to plan. Like, everything that we talked about, Syracuse wasn't going to score a lot. It made sense that both teams would come out and not be hitting shots because both teams were coming off a COVID pause. All that was making sense. There was this weird little run from Pitt to start the second half, which sort of showed that Syracuse had a little bit of a maybe chink in the armor or something like that, where you were like, okay, they're definitely vulnerable today. But I just didn't feel like Pitt had enough offensive pop to get to them. And then you said it, Syracuse just decided to self-destruct by doing nothing but shooting threes in this game. They attempt 38 threes in just 22 two-point field goal shots. So 38 of their 60 shots come from beyond the arc. They make 12 of the 38 threes and shoot at 31% from deep. But, I mean, they didn't make a thing from deep except for the Alan Griffin three in the last five, six minutes of the game. And it was more of Gerard shooting those bad shots. And, and honestly, Buddy, too, is has been really bad. Like, the whole big three just didn't really wake up. Griffin came out great, but from there, it's just a lot of bad shots that is really frustrating to watch. And just to back up what you're saying there, Syracuse ends the game shooting 1 of 11 from 3. They went 5 of 19 in the second half. They started out shooting 4 of 8 in the second half. They were getting good looks. They were moving the basketball. There was flow to the offense. They looked good. 
They really did look good for most of this game. And then it's the final five to seven minutes that everything falls apart. And you see why that number was one for 11. It's because they were taking early contested looks in the shot clock. It was because they just got trigger happy. And, and I thought Jordan Cornette, who was broadcasting the game for ACC Network, he was fantastic in this game. He was spot on in his analysis with Joe Girard, and I was tweeting about it during the game. He was fair with everything he was saying, and I think he made a lot of really good points when he brought up some of the things that are bestowed on Joe Girard. He's just forcing things right now. He He's almost... He didn't call it selfish, and I don't think that Girard is necessarily being selfish, but he's used to being the guy. He's used to having all the pressure in the world on his shoulders. Think about back in high school when he's playing and he's if he's not scoring 50 a night his team's probably not winning. If and then even at points last year when Elijah Hughes went out, if Gerard wasn't scoring, that team was not going to win a basketball game because Buddy Beheim was not stepping up to the plate. So, all this pressure's kind of been dropped on the shoulders of Gerard and he's kind of putting the pressure on himself this year, even though there's all these auxiliary options. I mean, I know Quincy was in foul trouble, so he didn't play a ton in this game. But you've got Alan Griffin, who's a prolific scorer. You've got Buddy, who's a good scorer. Dolezal can get you some buckets. I mean, Robert Braswell was shooting the lights out in this game. You have playmakers on your team. you got to distribute the basketball. This can't be the Joe Girard show where he's going out and, and getting you 30. I know you and I peg him all the time and say, if we're picking one guy on the team to score 30 in a game, we're probably picking Girard almost every single day of the week. I think that conversation's changed. I think Alan yeah, Griffin's the guy we have to... For me, to, it was Griffin already, I think. But yeah, I it's gotten to that point now. And to me, that's not what Gerard's game has to be. I mean, he had some nice passes in this game, too. He, he led the team with six assists. You'll, that's a good number to have. But he did also have the four turnovers. And again, we like to always say, those bad shots are as good as a turnover. So in reality, he probably had about seven or eight turnovers. And that's the difference in this game because... Pitt was a team that was exploiting you a little bit. They scored 10 points off of the turnovers that Syracuse committed, and it was just a absolute destruction on the offensive end to close it out. All right, we interrupt ranting about Syracuse basketball for a moment. Just want to tell you guys about a great new up-and-coming sports gambling site and a great way for you guys to add some extra money to play with this weekend if you're into sports gambling or if you're just thinking about getting into it. If you go to betonline.ag, that's a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network, then you can set up your own free account, and you will get a 50% welcome bonus if you use our promo code Locked On. That's all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. The promo code Locked On gets you a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put down $200 into your account, you'll get $100 free to maybe spend on the NFL wildcard games this weekend. Got some extra games with six games. It's going to be fun to watch those NFL games Bills fans out there, we will be pulling for you. Always rooting for you guys. So maybe you want to go put down a little bit of money on the Bills. Haven't seen that line yet, but you can go to betonline.ag, pull it up. You've also got the college football national title coming up and some college basketball games, as always, to bet on. Betonline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget that promo code locked on, all one word, to receive a 50% welcome bonus. It's time that we really criticize Joe Girard. And I think... Well, I think you got to throw Buddy's, in there, Buddy's name in there, yeah. too. Yeah. No, I, I would have agree. to Buddy's be. This is, yeah. I mean, Joe Girard, I know the saying is always 1A and 1B, but whenever the whenever you hear that, like, 
you put a higher value on the guy's name that's 1A versus the guy who's 1B in a problem. I know they try to say that to, to lump them together as one, but 1A is Joe, 1B is Buddy. I mean, he is not much further behind him when you look at the way that he has shot the basketball lately. Well, the other thing is they can't get to the rim. When's the last time you saw Buddy or Joe drive past his defender and score a running layup or score a layup with a defender in his face, in traffic, that type of thing. Right. They don't even go to the rim. They, they have no ability like to get there. And it's not like Griffin, too. Like, we see this with Griffin, we see this with Gary, and we see it with Dolajai. They can create second opportunities. Griffin had eight rebounds in this game. I don't know how many he got off of his own second chance, how many points he got off of his own second chances, but we see him do creative things like that. We see it with Gary. We see it with Dolajai, creating your second chances. And that's something that Buddy and Joe aren't going to do. And again, part of it is the limitations. You're not expecting a 6-1 guard or a 6-5 guard to necessarily go bang bodies down low and, and get offensive rebounds and get putbacks like that. But that's the thing that separates you as an offensive player. That That's why I think Griffin is the best offensive piece on this team right now. It's because he does all these different things for you. I mean, we talk about Robert Braswell. And Robert Braswell was phenomenal in this game with his four threes. Alan Griffin assisted on three straight of them. And he was getting Braswell that same open look. He was drawing in the defense, and then he'd kick out to Braswell, or he'd get in the corner, he'd make some quick rotations, he'd get it to Braswell, and he's wide freaking open every single time. It was time. that same spot. It was, it was the same yeah. spot, and it was because Alan Griffin was creating that open space for him. And that's why that we had the Robert Braswell game. And unfortunately, it didn't end in a Syracuse win. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast have kind of been waiting for us to maybe get to that official tipping point with Joe Girard. Because we have been harsh on it. Like after Rutgers, a lot of our podcast was, what the heck are you doing out there, Joe Girard? And you've got to clean this up. And the shot selection is so bad. I mean, he's 15 percentile in the country right now on shot quality. In shot selection, that is a terrible, terrible mark. Got to be one of the lowest in the entire ACC. It's by far the lowest on the Syracuse team right now. And he's been down in, down in the lower tens and teens percentile really all season. So this is nothing new. I, I'm just like, I've kind of hit another tipping point with him here where think about how many times we have gotten on our on the phone after a game and just chatted about what we're going to discuss on this podcast. And just a little behind the scenes, we'll always be like, all right, what do you want to talk about? Like, what are some points that you really want to hit on? And every time we'll just be like, we got to talk about Gerard. I mean, he stunk like how every single podcast. Yes, I feel like almost we've done every, that. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm, you're right. Like it just hit me over the head when we were doing the call today or yesterday. It's just like, it's time that we acknowledge that this is just unacceptable. I know we've done it a little bit, but I'm ready to say it once and for all. Like this team, if he's not going to play better, if he's not going to take better shots, then he needs to be on the bench in the final five to six minutes of games. And I don't think Kadari was really all that good today because teams but are defensively to he out. was. Defensively, Kadari, yeah. defensively, Kadari was a difference maker out there. He had a pair of steals, and I know Gerard did too, but. The, the team just looks so much better out on the floor with Kadari. And listen, I don't give a rat's you-know-what who starts, okay? Just because a PA announcer yells your name out through a microphone doesn't mean you're the better player per se, okay? Right now, Kadari Richmond is the better option on, of the guards on this team to, to start, but I don't care who starts, okay? 
because at the end of the day, it's probably better if Gerard starts. You get him going. It, like if he does hit one of those first couple shots out, that's a valuable asset that you have when Gerard's playing offense for you. Okay. But Kadari needs to be on the floor in the final minutes of these games. He needs to be out there for long stretches. I don't think he he should be playing only 19 minutes a game. We saw Gerard play 32. I mean, okay, if you get out to these big leads, then sure, you can throw Gerard out there. Have him pour it on. Because if Syracuse can get up by, by 20 to 25 points, then it really doesn't matter necessarily what Gerard's defense is going to be. He could, If he's going to give it to you offensively and get you over the hump to put games out of reach, then by all means, he can play more minutes than Kadari. But if you're playing in close games, Kadari Richmond needs to be out there because he has just proven time and time again that he can be a lockdown defender. He can create transition buckets. He's a pretty good distributor. And while he's not going to give you a, a ton in terms of scoring the basketball, at least I think he knows his limitations to a degree. And he's, well, he forced he's kind too of, many threes in this game. He was 0 for 4 from 3. Right. He, I mean, I, but I think it's one of those things where no one else was scoring. And, and Quincy was was obviously a non-factor in this game because of the foul trouble. So maybe he feels like he does have to put things on his shoulders and be, be like, hey, maybe tonight's going to be the night. It's my night. Like, it, it's... It's Earl's night tonight. It's Bobby Braswell's night. So maybe I can get a little magic going in my shot too. But no, I think with Kadari, you just have to put him out there in these late game clutch situations now. Like I've seen all I need to see out of yeah. Joe Girard at this point. I don't care if Girard starts. I don't care if Kadari's. It really does not matter. But what matters is the final five minutes of the game. Who's out there on the floor in crunch time situations. And listen, it like on that last play of the game, when they're when they have the ball sideline out of bounds, Marek's inbounding it. Yeah, yeah. How about that Gerard, play call? That was awesome. Gerard, well, <laughs> I've got some thoughts on that too. Okay, but like Gerard should be out on the floor for that play because you want the offense. But in terms of defensive sequences and long stretches, it's got to be Kadari. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I think teams are figuring out how to play Kadari. This was the first game where I felt like Pitt was noticeably saying. Go ahead, Kadari. Shoot it. We're going to give you that three. Like, they were sagging off him like he was Rondo or something. It, it was pretty right. egregious at times. And he was baited into it, and he shot too many threes. He's got to make sure that he doesn't settle like the rest of this team. Like I talked about, 38 attempted threes out of 60 shots. At some point, when you're coming off a of COVID pause and your shooting touch isn't great, you got to take matters into your own hands and drive. And... I know I'm, I always bring up the Joe Girard layup counter or whatever. I don't know what it's at right now, but I did. I saw I, him miss one and I thought of you today. Okay, great. Well, the one layup, I should even say this. The one layup that he hit, what was it? Northeastern? I, I don't remember. Something right? like that. It, it, was, it a, was a transition layup. Yeah, it was a transition layup though. Like he still hasn't started with the basketball on the perimeter, on the block, whatever, like on the, the free throw line area. And driven by someone and scored. Yeah, you know, I'm just seeing this stat for the first time right now. You know how many free throws Syracuse shot in this game? I know the first time this season they've been under 20 free throws. I think it was Pete Moore tweeted this out that every game other than this one this year, they've hit at least 20 free throws attempted, but it was very low. I'll get Five free throw attempts Oof. in this game. And three of them from Dolajai, two from Kadari. I mean, that's just unacceptable. How do you have... Three guards on this team who are considered scoring guards and none of them get to the basket and, and draw a little contact. I mean, 
That, that to me is is something. Pitt finished this game with 12 fouls. They're a shorthanded team. You should be attacking them. Now, in fairness, I mean, talk about someone who put on a clinic. We thought Syracuse put on a bad shooting clinic. TV Teddy, man. I mean, oh my. <laughs> what The performance he, he put on. I mean, talk about someone who, who yeah, was unfazed by the layoff. TV Teddy. I, I'm pretty sure he didn't have a layoff, but I mean, I tweeted this out. The, the, the people who did not get affected by the layoff. It went TV Teddy, 10,000 feet of crap, and then Alan Griffin. I mean, some of the calls he made were absolutely atrocious. And I know Jim Beheim can't say it, but I'll say it for him. It was egregious out there. Some of the, the charges that he was calling. I mean, he's in, he's in not midseason for, I mean, he is like, what is it? Like Apex Mountain that Bill Simmons calls it? Like he, he's sure. living a perennial <laughs> Apex Mountain right now. And I thought this guy was out of the game a couple years ago. Like, I know the, the Ken Palm referee report doesn't even have him listed anymore. He's, he's out of the database at this point. But it, it was atrocious, some of the calls that I saw him make in this game. Um, but, yeah, it, the, the foul trouble killed Syracuse. When you look at how it essentially took Gary out of the entire second half, that hurts a ton especially when you're not rebounding the ball well. And then on the other side, you're not getting these these free throws that maybe you should be getting, but you're also not attacking or forcing the issue. So um, I think that it's kind of like the shock value there, right? Like yeah. you finally see a guy go to the basket and knock a guy over. And I think the mind is just sort of trained to say, oh, that's probably a charge because you haven't really seen much of it. And Syracuse wasn't going to be physical in the paint and they got out physical all game long. Real quick, gotta tell you about the best place on the internet to shop for a car parts. That, of course, is rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's almost impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at your home and also in your pocket. And one reason to repair and maintain your car is to save money. And that's the best thing about rockauto.com is that you could choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts that you're going to get at a chain store or new car dealership. And not only that, but chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. So rockauto.com's prices, though, they're the same for everyone, and they're always reliably low. And one of the best parts about rockauto.com is it's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. It's the consistency that makes them the best. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers, and be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Again, when you go to rockauto.com to fix up your car or truck, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The physicality, we had Josh Maxson uh, tweeted us. I hope I'm saying that right. He tweeted us a lot. He said, we looked like a mid-major team physicality-wise. I almost, I don't really have much to add about the physicality. I, I totally agree because it's just been going on for so long. And an, another guy, Tony Stafiri, I'm, I'm again, probably Stafir. butchering that name. Yeah, S-T-A-F-F-I-E-R-E. You can tweet at us and, and maybe give us a phonetic spelling for next time because I, I clearly botched that. But anyway, he said Jim Beheim will have 15 excuses. The fact his teams aren't tough enough to win those games is an indictment on the recruiting 
since 2013. It goes back to the big man problem. I know Sidibe's out, but it doesn't matter because Pitt had three of their best front court players out too, including their best player, who's not, I guess, a front court front court. He's a 6'6 wing, but like you talked about, Justin Champagny, one of the top rebounders in the ACC entering this game, he would have been a problem for us. And it doesn't really matter who it is. Like Terrell Brown is objectively just not much of a factor for Pitt all season. He's not that great of an ACC basketball player. He's really just below average when you consider his total body of work. And every time he plays Syracuse, he looks like he's the Hulk out there. He looks like he's just unstoppable. And they're throwing backdoor lobs to him. And I mean, if I'm Pitt, I would just be getting him the ball every time down the court. We could not stop him. I mean, you get you get to the elbow, you, you throw something up right there, and it's going to be there every single time for them. That, that, that's what it is. So uh, this team played zero ounce. Of, they had zero ounce of physicality with them today. And no Garrier hurts that because I think he is one of their more physical guys on the boards. I mean, Syracuse started Weird this Quincy game off. game. I mean, two shots. Yeah. I know it was foul trouble, but... He, I mean, he, he sat out most of the right. second half, but yeah. I mean, he still was a, a good rebounder on this team, and he only played 17 minutes. He had five boards in those 17 minutes. I mean, he's probably going to play 35, 37 minutes every single night, and when you're shaving that in half and you lose a game by three, well, there's your difference right there. Yeah, I, I guess there were so many rebounds to go around in this game as well. <laughs> like, even some of the rebounding numbers when I'm looking at, they seem higher than normal, and that's just because coming off the COVID pause, no one could really shoot in this game. I want to go back to Gerard real quickly because I just want to say, and I, I know basketball has changed. I, I get it. This is a team, like, when I point to the number of three-point shots they've attempted, I'm not usually the guy that looks at that number because I understand the value in shooting threes. I understand that's the way the game is heading, and I do like that this team has a lot of capable shooters on it. I think they live and die by the three a little bit too much at times, but even at the rate basketball is changing, the fact that Syracuse has a starting point guard right now, who I have not once all year seen him drive by a defender and score at the rim. And they have not played that tough of a schedule. Like, they played a lot of bad teams with inferior competition, with low-level recruits all year long, and he's not getting to the rim. He's not getting by anyone. He's just not quick. He's playing against the kids any. he played against in high school. Like, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> like, like, we, everyone wanted to knock like the Joe Girard competition. Well, it feels like he was playing against some of those guys earlier in the year. Exactly. It, At least on this, paper. Right. This game did also kind of feel like law of averages turning against Syracuse a little bit. Because if you think about it, they really should have lost one of the Northeastern Bryant and Buffalo games. That's and fair. then we'd be mm-hmm. we'd be thinking completely differently about this team if they lost one of those. And this one is the one that, of all of them, they really shouldn't have even entertained losing because you're up by 18 at one point and you're Listen, up that, by... Again, we yeah. said it earlier. That first half was one of the best halves of basketball they played this season. You're up 14 at the half, you held a team under 20 points. And you shot the ball decently well. Uh, at least from three you did. So, no, I'm with you. I mean, and the thing that stings is... I'd trade a, a win in the ACC against Pitt for any one of those losses. I don't care. Pick one. I, I'd much rather have the win in the ACC. If you are 2-0 and in the ACC, you're stacking up wins that way. You can better your seed how, however you want along the way because guess what? Conference isn't very good this year. Anyone can beat anyone in that tournament. So I would much rather have the higher seed, maybe get the, the easier path to, and, and maybe a couple buys as well. Because who knows, maybe maybe you're looking at a 
an ACC Final Four of like a one, a five, a seven, and a nine seed. Because, I mean, we saw Boston College almost beat Duke. Carolina's had their mountain of struggles. Wake Forest was up double digits today on uh, on Virginia, uh, albeit they ended up losing. But, I mean, they hung with Virginia. Florida State's been hot and cold. Clemson ha- has had their moments as well. So it's an up-and-down conference this year. Anyone can win it, and I would have much rather had the win in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, the conference as a whole is very tough to gather any intel on at this point. It's been very bizarre. And that's just 2020. I guess now it's 2021. But that's just COVID and the whole season and these pauses and everything. And you can make a case that that's part of the reason they lost this game. I was happy Beheim didn't directly complain about that, kind of like the Bryant game and say anything to the effect. Of, yeah, I was oh, going to ask you, since you're you're our radio wizard now and, and you get you get to hear all these games. So he didn't on, on his uh, little halftime spiel say that he they should have canceled the game. They never should have no. played it. <laughs> n- n- I think n- you would have heard about it. Yeah, I, I I didn't catch it this time, and I think he might regret those comments. I have no no idea, but just I mean everyone's dealing with it. Like Wake Forest has played four Division One teams this year after playing Virginia last night. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are scraping at the barrel just to play games and scraping at the barrel to find rosters. Miami's throwing out like six guys some games. Like all things considered, as Syracuse had, I mean. Should they have gone into a pause just because of Buffalo? Probably not. Like, they've had bad luck, like the rest of them. But, I mean, they it's not like they've lost a ton of what they've had in, the, in terms of their on-court production. Barama hurts. They did have no Buddy for a little bit. And it does feel like Buddy's in a funk still. And should we talk more about Buddy? Like, I, I, again, I, I think it's like Quincy Garrier and touting him up. I think we need to be fair here and, and criticize Buddy as well. If we're going to criticize Gerard, if I'm going to bring up the Kadari shouldn't be shooting threes like that, Buddy has the same type of problem. So you could really say both of your starting backcourt guys just can't get to the rim right now. And if you're going against a good perimeter defense, which the, the stats actually said Pitt was pretty solid, as we said, three-point defense-wise, just like some of these other teams that Syracuse has struggled against. Buffalo was one of them. Rutgers was one of them. I think they, that really exposes them once they can't make threes because they have no other options. So I'm doing the the quick math here. Over the last four games, and I know it's a it's a long, long gap in between games uh, games one and games four. It's about a month, which you don't get a lot in college basketball. But you know what, Buddy's shooting from three the last four games? 21%. Lower. Try 15%. Five for 26. Five for 26. And this is a guy who's supposed to be a marksman for you. He hasn't, he's only had an offensive rating above 100 in that Boston College game. And you want to know why he was so good in that Boston College game? It's because he got to the rim. Look, Look at his best games so far this season. They're games where he's getting to the rim and he's efficient at getting to the rim. Buffalo, eight of 19 on two pointers. You got Boston College, four of five on two-pointers. And, and he's getting to the line in that Buffalo game. He goes six of seven shooting the ball from the stripe. That's the only game he's shot a free throw in since since he went on his big pause. I mean, that's the... It's so frustrating watching these guards not attack. And, and I get that maybe the, the, the style of play that they're used to isn't groomed for them attacking. But we had always been told, like, one of the things that made Buddy different from some of these other guys is that he does have 
this ability to get to the rim. And I've seen it. I've seen it in the past. I've seen him get to the rim, blow by some guys, use his pump fake. And getting to the rim is only going to open up the outside game for both him and Gerard. So I just want to see both of these guys just be more aggressive. First possession, when, when you know that everyone's going to key in on you to shoot, hit them with a pump fake, put your head down, get to the line. Because th- that's yeah. what this team needs to do. They need to hit someone in the mouth early on. And, and I feel like they haven't done that from a physicality standpoint these last couple. Yeah, the other thing I'll say, the final play, we can get into that. One thing about Beheim, and I'm usually, if anything, on the side of Beheim gets too much flack and he's a Hall of Fame coach. For a Hall of Fame coach... He's about the last one I'd want to be drawing up a final play with eight seconds left because he's just not an offensive-minded guy, and it really comes to the forefront in those type of situations. I'm not saying that, like, it was all on him in that situation. It seems like maybe they were trying. They actually did have some type of action, it looked like, to get Quincy to the rim. almost like a lob lob. play. Yeah, Yeah. but it got broken up, and... I'll be honest, I just had no faith that they were going to run a good play and get up a good shot, and that was probably the last three minutes and all the momentum going into it as well. But I just, we haven't seen them execute in those type of scenarios. They're almost better off just not calling a timeout. And actually, when you kind of freeze frame when they called the timeout, which is a, a dangerous game to do, admittedly, but Dolajai was wide open and Pitt was not set defensively. And Griffin did end up throwing the ball and kind of throwing it away, well, no, like no, lackadaisically. Wasn't it Dol- Dolajai was the one that was inbounding the ball? And yeah, I'm talking about the Griff- play before though, where, where oh, okay, they okay. they elected to call the time. So they inbounded to Griffin after the tip in, and for a moment it was like, oh, they're going to let him play on. Like it mm-hmm. didn't look like Beheim was ready to call the timeout right away. Oh, gotcha, and gotcha, when okay. Griffin got to the front court. Then Dolajai kind of streaks down the middle and pitch just not sent defensively. And he almost like has a free lane to the basket, but they called the timeout right before it. I, I just had no faith once they called the timeout. And that's another thing. Well, these guys aren't driving to the basket. You watch these other teams around college basketball. And I'm not saying it's like the NBA or something where it's like clean offense all the time, but I mean, there's set plays. There's guys coming off like off ball screens or ducking under to like get a cut to the basket and get to the rim. There's just not a whole lot of that from Syracuse, not a whole lot of action going on. And once it gets to the final five minutes, the isolation really comes to the forefront. Here's what I'll say about that. And I actually didn't mind the play a whole lot because I think the the essence of the play itself was all right. It just wasn't open. Pitt defended it well. You have to tip your cap at, at a certain point. I think Pitt I'd defended agree. option one well on that play. But the only problem is you need to have a plan B at some point. Yeah. And I know some people were, were ripping Marek, which made zero sense to me. Like, at some point, like, he had to get that ball in. Because there is an opportunity cost here. You can either sit on that ball and not turn it over and take your five seconds and you're just going to give the ball the other way. Or if you can at least throw the ball in and hope someone scoops it up. So I saw some people getting a little upset with Marek for his decision making. He had to get that ball in bounds at some point. He knew he had, I think that was a high level IQ play by him. And he didn't force the throw over the top, which probably would have ended poorly. And Syracuse ends up losing anyway. But the only problem for me was that you're right. There was no plan B on that play. Yeah. And that's the thing that's concerning, especially when you've got all these shooters 
who should be creating space for, for Quincy. If you see those guys diving with Quincy, that means someone should be open. And, and that's the thing that I think is concerning is that there was no exterior option outside of the lob to Quincy. And, and I saw Griffin was cutting around a little bit and maybe there was a point where he was open, but I don't think it really synced up with, like Marek's obviously got a key in on Quincy. That's option Gerard one. just stood there. He yeah, even, it, yeah. It, Which, it's, yeah. I don't think they it wanted wasn't, him with the ball, but right. I I don't think it was a terrible play, but it, in its truest form, it was a solid play. But the the result obviously makes it look a lot worse than it really was. But the fact that there was no backup plan on who to get the ball to is what's really concerning. Yeah, all I'm saying, I don't even I, I agree with you. I think that actually the play that they drew up was even better than I anticipated, and Pitt did defend it well. All I'm saying is they cut to the huddle and Jim Beheim was drawing up a play on a clipboard and I just didn't have a great feeling. Like, wh- when, is he, <laughs> when has he done it and it's worked out well? I, I can't really think of an example. And I think it's because he often just doesn't call timeout in that scenario and he wants, like, the John Wallace scenario that we talked about on the show with him in that game in the tournament where he just gets down the court right away. Right. Think of John Gillen, the, the Gillen play. That, that's yeah. often inbounds, like... Or, yeah, often, it, no, that's Rebound. often his free throw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's part of it, but the guy's been coaching for 45 years, and I don't really, I, I can't remember, I haven't watched him all 45 years, I'll admit, I, I'm not that old, but I can't remember a time since I've been watching Syracuse basketball where it's been like, wow, what an ATO from Bayheim. Or if they had thrown the lob to Garrier and it had worked, it just wouldn't, it would have been, like unprecedented territory for me to just be like, holy cow, Beheim drew up a pearl there. <laughs> like it just doesn't <laughs> happen often. And it's, it's college basketball partially because they don't get those opportunities as much as in the NBA and stuff. And maybe I'm being unfair. I just didn't feel great about the play calling. And I think part of the reason why the shot selection was bad is because they're not running a ton of action in those final five minutes. I'll say this. I don't think that's a Bayheim problem. I think that's a college basketball problem yeah. in general. I, like the best ATOs are run in the NBA. There's oh, a reason I, I why those guys are NBA coaches. It's because they can come up and and diagram and execute some of those. Bill plays. Self's the one exception. He he can run an ATO. Yeah, for but sure. he runs the same damn play every single time. <laughs> and the it little, works. The little yeah. wheel, um, but it works every time. So so kudos to him. But no, I mean, and, and again, who who's the the big college basketball name that always gets gets rumored to go to the pros it's bill self it's not the coach k's it's not the roy it's not the bayheim it's bill self and and so uh, yeah no i'm I'm with you like i think it's more of a college basketball problem i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna ding a dude because he he didn't draw a masterful ato i think he drew about as good of an ato as you'll see in college basketball Pitt just defended it well yeah, I, I just didn't feel good in the scenario, I guess is what, what I'm voicing at this point. But yeah, anything else from you? I mean, this we didn't get Braswell his due necessarily. I don't really, I think we can get into maybe on tomorrow's show when we talk about Georgetown, what this means for the rotation and, and how you would sort of play it going forward. But it, it was just from like a just human perspective, it was just awesome to see him make shots because... That's about as good as I've, I've felt for one Syracuse player all year because I I want the guy to succeed. We've all been rooting for him for a while, and we've all been hearing that he's making shots in practice, and then we actually got to see it, and it was awesome to see how the bench was reacting. 
Yeah, a lot of old takes exposed on Twitter for, for the Robert Braswell crowd out there. Again, he's got to go out and do it again for, for me to give it any yeah. sort of consistency. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I thought Griffin set him up really well for a number of those opportunities. But Braswell, yeah, it's hopefully this is a sign of things to come. And hopefully there is some sort of competition w- w- between him and Woody Newton. But I'm, I'm with you. It was a great moment for him. Hopefully it's more of the norm and those performances that he had earlier in the season are, are the outliers. All right. Well, disappointing end to that game for sure. But it's a quick turnaround. Georgetown on Saturday will get you guys prepared for the rivalry matchup. We'll discuss it all, how Georgetown's been playing this season their strengths, their weaknesses, how Syracuse matches up, run through the numbers with Anthony DeBundo's digits. All that will be on tomorrow's show, so subscribe so you will get that right into your podcast feed tomorrow morning. And follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.